<sighs> Today is one of those rare times. It's been since 2016, and it's not going to happen again until 2033 that Christmas falls on a Sunday morning. So let's enjoy it. Let's take a little bit of time and consider why we come together this Sunday and really every Sunday. Because some might ask, why would we still meet on one of the biggest holidays in our country? On a day when families spend time with each other and and extended family, and maybe folks are missing certain um, traditions that you do yearly, and uh, just by being here, you're missing those. And those things do mean a great deal. They're important in our lives. But there is something much more important than that, and that's, that's why we're here this morning. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian church. I'm just going to look at a few verses this morning, briefly. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, nothing's going to be on the screen really today at all, so um, you can look down at your own copies of God's Word here. So verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we need you to open our eyes, to direct our hearts, to help us to to focus. Many are maybe anxious to get back home, but Lord, Still our hearts and our minds, cause us to focus for just a few minutes this morning on you and on what you have done for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, in this text, there's just three brief things I want us to see. First is the moment, uh, the time frame, so to speak. Next, the, the method, what happened? What happened at that moment? And then third is the mark to, to what end or uh, um, what was intended to be accomplished in this. If you look at the moment, it says, but when the fullness of time had come. That is the moment. But what does this phrase, the fullness of time, mean? In short, it means that this is, this is the juncture, the, the point that was foreordained by the plan of God. Everything that was necessary to take place uh, had Actually, it happened at that point in time. This was God's perfect timing. It was everything had bubbled over and filled up. I I actually listened to R.C. Sproul on the way here this morning, and he talked about this fullness of time that it's like picture a cup under a spigot, and you turn the spigot on, and it just keeps going and going, and it just is overflowing. That's the fullness. Everything is set. It's completely full and ready for this moment in time. So that's from God's perspective. Everything is set up. If we, if we look at it as well from a human perspective, we can actually see some things that, that made that time such an appropriate one. By the time of Jesus' birth, Rome had conquered most of the known world, most of the inhabited earth. Roman roads had been built throughout the empire. It was a great infrastructure. And it was also a time basically free from war. Even if you were occupied, you were fairly free from war. It's what is known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And then also throughout much of the Mediterranean world, there were synagogues scattered throughout. So there were places where a message could be taught 
throughout the empire. John Stott wrote this. He said, it was also a time when the Greek language and culture had given a certain cohesion to society. At the same time, the old mythological gods of Greece and Rome were losing their hold on the common people, so that the hearts and minds of men everywhere were hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. Further, it was the time when the law of Moses had done its work of preparing men for Christ, holding them under its tutelage and in its prison so that they longed ardently for the freedom with which Christ could make them free. Things were set up. It was the the fullness of time. And at that point, Jesus came. Mark used a a similar phrase in, in some ways. Actually, it was Jesus at the beginning of Mark where he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Christ brought in this fullness of time. So so here it was, at this specific point, this point set out by God, that God did something, and he sent his son. That's where we turn to next. That's the, the method of what God did in this fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Father sent the son, the eternal, pre-existent one. You could look at places like John 1 or even Romans 8 and verses 3 and 4. That when it says God sent His Son, that's saying He sent the one who was pre-existent. The Son was not created. He's the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, if you want to make that even more clear, listen to Colossians 1, starting in verse 16. For by Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Son is the one sent at this point. He is also, though, the one who is born of woman. Now, this is a very short statement, but it's also an extremely significant one. And Charles Simeon wrote, I love how he put this, he said, this expression would have been superfluous if applied to any mere man, but as applied to the Lord Jesus, it is peculiarly important. Because to say that any one of us is born of woman is redundant. It's like saying tuna fish. There's, there's no need for both of those things. Okay, you don't have to say that. This is not referring as well to the virgin birth. But more importantly, it's referring to Christ's humanity. That the fact that he's human, that God took on flesh, that there are two natures in Christ. There's divine and human. We sang that earlier, true God of true God, light of light, that he's very God and very man. Jesus is both. In fact, the text says, God sent forth his son. As I said, that tells us that he existed beforehand, that he was born of the woman, was that he was formed of the substance of his mother, not by ordinary means, not by ordinary generation. He was formed in that way. He is truly God and truly man. Both of these phrases are utterly significant because the son of God came, was sent into the world and came into it through the womb of of the Virgin Mary. 
This is a beautiful mystery. The mystery of the incarnation. God took a human nature. He had a real body and a reasonable soul. He was God and flesh in one person. This is the incarnation. God took on flesh. This fulfills what an old uh, theologian, Caspar Livianus, called the first promise in Scripture, which he points to as Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The one to defeat Satan, sin and death, be the offspring of woman. But this one was not just son born of woman, but he was born under the law. It's amazing when you think about it. The Lord, the the giver of the law, was made subject to the law on behalf of his people. That he, the one who gave it, would live in subjection to it. The heir of all things was born under the Mosaic covenant with all its obligations. You want to talk about the greatness of God and humility, the the, the condescension to submit to the very law that he gave. And he not only submitted to it, he fulfilled it perfectly and utterly. This was the method God chose. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. But why? For what purpose did he do this? Why would God condescend to take on human flesh? Why why go through all of that? Why leave the throne? Look at verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, the English in in this version, I, I don't think shows it as explicitly as I would like that there are two purpose clauses here. To so that. You can see the second, so that we might receive adoption as sons. But the first isn't quite as clear. It just says to redeem, but the NASB puts it like this. So that he might redeem those who were under the law. So the first reason, the the, the first mark, the first intention is that Christ did this in order to redeem us. In order to redeem us. What does it mean to redeem What does it mean to redeem? Simple terms, you could say, to to buy back. But in this context, it means both, uh, in in that kind of as as a larger framework, it means to remove the curse that's upon us as humanity, as fallen and sinful humanity, the curse we're under for breaking the law, and to restore the inheritance. So to remove the curse and restore the inheritance. In Galatians 3, if we would back up just a little bit, verses 10 through 13, we see this first idea. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. No one's justified by the law. Because naturally, in our own strength, we do all rely on the law. 
Whether we know it or not, we are seeking to do that. We're seeking to, to justify ourselves, to, to define our worth by our works or by how much we're better than somebody else. Any of those things, we are working to justify ourselves. By what we do, we seek to prove our worth and our goodness. But we all fail. We all fail. We all break that law. We all fail miserably. And this text tells us that, Roman, or that Galatians 3 tells us that Christ redeemed us by becoming the curse for us. This is why he had to be born of woman, born under the law, so that he could take that curse. I love the way Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, for our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived perfectly, to be sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel in a nutshell. It is beautiful. Then there's the second purpose. That we might receive Adoption as sons. Folks, not only is the, is the curse taken away, but then there's this adoption as sons. Now, this, this might just sound, eh, this is, this is really amazing stuff when you think about it. Verses 6 and 7, if you look on in, in Galatians 4, says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He did this to give us sonship. So that we don't cry in fear of God, but we cry out calling Him Father. Not in that cowering fear, but in a reverent fear, calling Him our God, our Father, we're not slaves, we're sons. We're heirs through God, heirs because of the work of Christ. Think of that. But it always sends me, when I, when I think of adoption in this way, just such wonderful helps and, and tools and resources for us are our catechisms. The larger and shorter catechism, please take advantage of them. I want to read the larger catechism. It's question 74. It asks, what is adoption? Listen to this. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God, meaning it was all of grace. It was all His. It was what He did for us out of His choosing because He loved His people. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and only for His Son, Jesus Christ whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of His children. Listen to that. All those who are justified, all those who, who uh, by, by faith and repentance, turn to Him, are received into the number of His children. Have His name put upon them. No. You guys need me to say that again, because Siri does, apparently. So, it says, here we go. Have His name put upon them. The Spirit of His Son given to them. 
We have the Spirit given to us freely. Are under His fatherly care and dispensation. He watches over us. The Lord is our keeper, the Psalms talk about. He watches over us. Not a hair can fall from our head without the loving gaze and the, the knowing of my heavenly Father. And we're admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God. We have access to the Father. We can go to Him in prayer. We can go to Him with our needs. We can worship freely. We have the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's our resource. He's our, he, he's our source, our, our Savior, our Lord. And we're made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. Not just that we get to go to, but we're heirs with Christ. That's adoption. Let me just read that whole thing again. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and only for His Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of His children, have His name put upon them. The Spirit of His Son given to them are under His fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. Let that sink in. And listen, in Christ then, in this one born of woman, born under the law, that, that, that God the Father sent forth for us, we are heirs of the promises. This is why we come together. This is why we can come together because the work of God has done something amazing because the character and the love of God, He's done something like this. He's worthy of all of our time. Certainly every Sunday. Certainly worthy of our hearts being directed towards Him in worship and praise and faith and in trust and in repentance. I just wanted us to take a few minutes and, and be reminded of why we are here, why we come. Because when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So as you head home, and probably open gifts, unless some of you were really, really ambitious this morning and did it before you came, Know this, there is no greater gift than for God so loved that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There's no greater gift. He's the one who was born to set us free. Let us rest in that today. Let us worship Him today. Let us have our hearts focused on him. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise. Or direct our hearts to you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus that we can know him and that in that gift we have been given so much more than we can honestly comprehend. 
So direct our hearts more and more to the glory of the gift of Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.